warm word of welcome to you as we come and worship today before the presence of God. We're going to sing together the hymn 568. Be not dismayed, whate'er betide. God will take care of you. Beneath his wings of love abide. God will take care of you. Stand to sing.
elders have come here not to do to back it, backing for uh, the choir, but to pray in a moment or two, and I'll explain that just in a moment. The Psalm 5 is the psalm for today. Let's hear God's Word. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. Make thy way straight before my face. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. Destroy thy them, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions for they have rebelled against thee. But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy, because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. For thy Lord will bless the righteous. With favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield. May God bless the reading of his word in every heart. There are a number of things that are very current in our minds and hearts in these days, and uh, our elders are going to come just and lead briefly uh, to us, each one of us to the throne of grace today. We're thinking about what we heard on Thursday night, Let the Bible Speak, and the ministry of uh, Let the Bible Speak going into the world, presenting the gospel to the nations. We're thinking about the land of Ukraine <coughs> and all the the destruction and devastation, everything that's happening there, it's certainly current and in our minds in these days. And as we've listened to the news this week and we see the trouble in Jerusalem and the killings and deaths, we are reminded that we are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And then we want to remember the sick of the church before the throne of grace today, as we always do, and the services that will be held. So we're going to ask our elders one by one to come and just take one of these subjects and, and pray briefly before the Lord as we seek God as a congregation. Let us unite together in prayer. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the work of LTBS. We thank you for even putting into the heart of uh, Dr. Alan Kearns many years ago, even in 1973 to commence this work here and their own home congregation. We thank you, Lord, for the reach that it has of the gospel 
across many lands, across many continents. We just pray, Lord, you'll continue to bless the work of Let the Bible Speak. We pray, Lord, that you will help even the Reverend Curran and the committee there, Lord, to uh, have the direction from God even to uh, continue this work. We thank you for the many aspects this work has, and we thank, Lord, of the, the television recordings and that work. We think of the radio ministry. We think of the printed word and the magazines that go to different areas, uh, even of the world and within this province. And we thank also, Lord, of the ministry in the shops there in Banbridge and Armagh. We just pray you'll continue to bless this work, Lord. We pray that uh, even across the far-flung corners of the earth, men and women, boys and girls, will hear the glorious gospel of salvation. We pray this all in thy precious and lovely name. Amen. Let us pray. My Heavenly Father, again, we come into thy presence again this morning, and we just come humbly and reverently before thee. We pray again for the land of Ukraine. Lord, we just pray, Lord, for that land and these troubled days. We thank you for our friends that are here, and Lord, we know that they, many times they hear distressing news from home. And Lord, we just pray that they will know the peace of God which passes all understanding each day in their lives. We think of those that are involved in the work over there. We think of our brother Fleming, our brother Donald, we just pray, Lord, that you give him wisdom and help in these days to help, Lord, in every way he can there. And we thank the Lord of the Sloans. And we thank you, Lord, for even that report we heard at early morning prayer meeting, how many are queuing up even to get to God's house. The many souls have been saved. And Lord, we just thank you that you're working in that land. Putin is building up his army, but we just thank you that you're building your church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against them. We just thank you for what you're doing there. We just pray, Lord, that you'll continue to work on that land. We pray, Lord, for peace. We pray, Lord, that very soon, Lord, that peace will come to Ukraine. And Lord, we pray for a better days, Lord. We just leave these things in the Saviour's name. Amen. Father in heaven, thou hast commanded us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And Lord, we're very conscious that this piece of real estate is most coveted after throughout the nations of this world in which we live. Yet it was God given to the ancient people of Israel. Lord, we pray for thy people this day that thou wilt be pleased to undertake for them. We think of them as they stand with their backs against the, the Mediterranean Sea, as their faces face the Arab nations of the world in Syria and in Iraq, Iran, Kuwait, Jordan, Egypt. Lord, we do pray that thy hand of protection might be upon that nation and upon that people. We're conscious that it has a very special place in the heart of the God of heaven. It was here that thou didst draw redemption for thy people. And it's here that thou wilt one day burst the clouds and come with power and with great glory. We do pray, Lord, for thy hand of protection and blessing. Undertake for the current conflict, we pray, and grant that thou wilt bring peace to that needy nation and to this ancient people. For we ask these things in the Saviour's name. Amen.
Our loving Father and our eternal God, we continue on in thy presence. And we're very conscious as we come to the throne of grace that thou hast said in thy word that if there are those that are sick among you, pray. And we rejoice that we come to the one who went here upon this earth. Thy word tells us that he, they brought unto him all that were sick. And so, our loving Father, we're very conscious that in our fellowship there are those that have that particular need that the one who knows all about them might draw alongside and purpose that which concerns them, fulfill the purpose of God in their lives, even at this time as they go through difficulties and troubles and trials. We do especially remember our sister Madge Bevan. We pray, Lord, that thou will continue to strengthen thy child. Thou dost know the valley that she's in, and may she be very conscious of the Lord's help and the Lord's nearness. We think of Chrissy Blair. We pray for him. Guide the surgeons. Give them wisdom. And Father, in all things, we pray that the Saviour will draw alongside and even speak to Chrissy at this time. We think of our brother Peter Moy. Lord, we do pray for this dear brother, that thou will continue to be to him his portion. Lord, strengthen him and encourage him, we pray. We thank you for a measure of health restored to our brother Ivor and our brother Wesley. We pray that you'll continue to be with them. And for all in our congregation, Lord, thou dost know every need. You know the spoken need. You know the known need. And Lord, you know those that are unknown. We commit them all lovingly to thee. And we pray, our loving Father, that the God of all comfort and the God of all grace will continue to be the portion of those who at this time need that touch from thee. We pray in the Saviour's name. Our Heavenly Father, we come now and we pray for a real sense of the presence of God to be felt in our services today. O oh Lord, as we seek to worship and to praise Thee this day, Lord, we just ask that we will know a real sense of God being with us here in Thy house. O oh Lord, speak to each of our hearts. We pray, Lord, that You will encourage us from Thy Word today. O oh Lord, that we'll be instructed if need be, rebuked. And, O oh Lord, we just pray that you will revive our hearts as we listen to thy word going forth today. We thank thee for thy presence with us already in the Sabbath school and in the time of prayer this morning. And, Lord, we just pray that you'll come now and work in each and every heart. Lord, remember those who are with us today and they are still out of Christ. O oh Lord, we pray that this might be the day when you will remove those scales from off their eyes and they might see the wonder of the Saviour. Lord, we remember those who have the responsibility of handling thy word today. We pray for the Reverend Park this morning that thou wilt take him and fill him afresh with thy Holy Spirit. Give him the help that he needs. And do remember the Reverend Smiley as he comes to minister to us this evening. Give him travelling mercies. And Lord, again we ask that thou wilt fill him with thy Spirit. And Lord, that a work will be done in hearts even as he speaks to us this evening. Do remember the Moffat and the Park family as they travel to Bangor for the dedication of little Elias. Lord, we thank thee for thy goodness to Joshua and to Leah, how thou has brought this little one into the world. And, O oh Lord, as they dedicate him to thee tonight, Lord, we pray that thou wilt come unto this little one's life, Lord, and save him early in life. And, Lord, make him a mighty uh, man of God who will go on to serve thee. 
So, Lord, we just pray that thou wilt presence thyself with us today and that in everything we do, thy name will be exalted and glorified, for we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. And everybody said, Amen. We bid you welcome to God's house today in the Savior's precious name. Uh, if you're listening in on the internet, on any of the media, we welcome you also. If you're sick and laid aside and you can't be here and you're forced to listen in by the means of the internet, we trust that the Lord will bless you and encourage you and strengthen you just where you are. Very glad to have Mervyn Taylor back uh, this morning with us. We heard that, so we're encouraged to, to see Mervyn again in the house of God. As we think of our Ukrainian friends, and some of them are not here because they're sick, but those that are here, we welcome you. And very particularly, we welcome Yura. Yuri, Yura, I'm not sure. So you want to stand up? We welcome you. Yeah. His first time to Northern Ireland, his first time to Balamoni, his first time to Hebron. And of course, he's here just for about two and a half weeks visiting with his wife, Fika. So remember them before the Lord that the Lord will be with them in these days. This afternoon, there is outreach and uh, not all the work was done this week, and we need a good crowd to come in the afternoon. I trust that you're free, and I trust that you, uh, many of you have a burden to come and visit to get the children in on Tuesday night. So three o'clock here at the church, we'll meet together, and then we will go out onto the doors. Gospel meeting at seven. <clears throat> the preacher tonight is the Reverend Alan Smiley, filling in for us as we go to Bangor for the dedication of Elias Andrew Moffat. So pray for us there. Pray for the Reverend Smiley as he comes here and come and seek the Lord at 6.30 in the prayer meeting. Refreshments will be served after the service tonight. Remember that. Tuesday night, the Youth Challenge recommences at 7 o'clock. want to do everything that we can on night one to get the kids out under the sound of the Word. So if you have children at home, children in your area, please bring them along. <coughs> Wednesday night is the ladies' meeting at 8 o'clock. We've been announcing this, keeping it before you for prayer. Mrs. Pamela Fitzsimons from Mulliglass, the wife of the minister there, will be here to speak, and Anna and Grace Maternahan will be here to sing. Please be in prayer for this service. Thursday night is the midweek meeting at 8 o'clock, and we will have special prayer for the Christian school. This is the night that we remember uh, the school before the Lord on the first Thursday of the month. Friday, the Youth Fellowship is at 8 o'clock, and Chrissy will be speaking to the young people, and uh, the other things that they normally do will be happening also. Pray for this ministry. It was a tremendous meeting with the young people on Friday night. It was a meeting I am glad I was there, uh, present with them, and we had a, a prayer meeting, maybe slightly down in numbers, but we're glad to be able to say today that 33 of the young people prayed, and that was something I didn't want to miss, and we've already put it down as one of the tokens for good in this year when we get our young people together to seek the Lord in prayer. Presbytery is also on Friday night. It, it's taking place by Zoom, being one of the winter months. And then on Saturday morning, the open air will take place in the center of the town at 11 a.m. And how blessed we are to see a good number attending the open air in this public witness. The prayer meeting next Lord's Day, 8 o'clock, 
the Sunday school at 10.30 and the Bible class at a quarter to 11. Mervyn will be taking up this month's studies and he will be bringing lessons from Leviticus, views of Christ in types and shadows. And the first message is the introduction to the book. Worship service then at 12 noon and the will of God will be here to continue with our study in Mark's gospel. The family night is at seven o'clock and we're having a testimony from Adrian Coffey from Portobogie. He was here many, many years ago and he's coming back to tell us how the Lord saved him. Very quickly this morning, we put this together. Uh, we'll be able to share this and you can get it out to your friends and family. Adrian, a fisherman, was swept overboard in a freak accident and almost lost his life. This incident was the agency God used to bring him to Christ. Come and hear his testimony, the testimony of God's amazing grace. And he had sent me the, the text from the Psalm 107, verses 23 and 24. They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. I remember, I remember that day well when news was coming in of this accident that had taken place and his fishing vessel had collided with a ferry, a very large boat that was traveling from Warren Point uh, to the Isle of Man, if my memory is right. And uh, these men were working on deck with the fish and obviously when the boat was tilted with the impact, all the men into the sea. And there they were, and they watched the, the, the ferry disappearing in the distance, and they were battling in the water in the middle of nowhere, and uh, they were facing death. They thought they were going to die. And that was the very thing that brought Adrian to Christ. And then somebody had heard a noise on that ferry and reported it, and by and by they came back about 40 minutes, 45 minutes later. A long time in the water, uh, not thinking to, your, thinking to yourself that nobody's coming to rescue me. But the Lord did and rescued him in the greater sense, brought him to the Lord. Supper will be provided, and ladies, please, can you help out with this? Half a loaf of sandwiches and a dozen buns. If you can do that, we'd appreciate that. Can I give a, a preliminary announcement uh, regarding our Sabbath school social? It'll be on the last Friday of March. That is the 31st of March at 7.30. Put it into your diary and keep it there. Um, we have sincere thanks from the Wallace family to the minister, session, and committee. We would like to express our sincere gratitude to the congregation of Hebron Free Presbyterian Church for their kindness and generosity shown to our family following the passing of Linda. To the ladies of the church who provided refreshments and for all who call at the home, telephone, sent cards and flowers, and upheld our family in prayer, we wish to express our heartfelt thanks. And that's from the Wallace family. The Psalm 46 and verse 1. We had a very good meeting last night in Dromore. Um, quite a few of our friends were there and participated. We, we gave a slide presentation of them coming. Uh, to Northern Ireland, and the pastor brought a report and gave his testimony. So it was a very, very good meeting, and we want to thank those that were able to travel last night. It was a late night. Uh, it was a two-hour meeting, and we didn't get home until about midnight. 
Please continue to pray for the projects in Ukraine. Uh, this is the distribution of aid there, giving food to the hungry in a time of great need. And these are house groups gathering together for the study of the Scriptures. Remember also the projects in Romania. We showed this on Thursday night. Uh, for those that helped, thank you again. These are the chicken coops. They're being uh, erected and distributed. The man, the pastor, collects the, the wood in his car on the roof of it, and he gets these things built, and then they're delivered out to the poor. We think also of the, the food project once a week in the other church. These poor folks' families are gathered in, and they're given a meal uh, just to give them one good meal in the week. And then out into the mountains to this new area that we've never been, but we hope to be visiting there soon uh, again, sharing those little necessities that you need every day, as simple as a few apples and, and some bread, and especially the preaching of the Word of God, just standing there on the road and presenting Christ. The meetings every week are now happening in Stefan's home. We, we've sent the pastor there to teach this family the things of God, and they're attending the service as well and enjoying the, the ministry of the Word. So again, thank you for all that are involved. We continue to pray uh, for the sick of the congregation, and you heard prayer this morning for those that are particularly in need. Please continue to uphold the sick at the throne of grace. Thank you very much. I'm going to sing Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. It's the hymn 539. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner, it must not suffer, suffer loss. From victory into victory his army shall he lead, till every foe is vanquished, and Christ is Lord indeed. This is a hymn that you can't sing when you're sitting. All right, you're going to stand up, stand up for Jesus as soldiers of the cross. Let's rise to our feet as we sing.
going to read just our text as we come to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8 again, and this verse that we were looking at last Lord's Day, we brought part one of the message, the message that is entitled, Ashamed of Christ, Mark, chapter 8, verse 38, whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation Of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We'll bow in prayer as we seek the Lord together around his word. Loving Father, we pray that you'll help us to stand up, stand up for Jesus as soldiers of the cross, especially in these days of great darkness when we see spiritual decline all around us. May we never be ashamed of the Lord, ashamed to own his cause, his name, his gospel. May we ever speak forth the the truths of your word and take our stand for the Lord in our day. Help us to put on the whole armor of God that we might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We know the devil's a real being and we know that he is assaulting the church, but Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. As we settle into your word in the closing minutes of this service, we pray that you'll open our hearts to your word, that you'll speak to every individual that's here and help us to hear what God Almighty is saying to our hearts this day for Jesus' sake. Amen. The text before us here in verse 38 of Mark chapter 8 is a most searching, stunning serious text that you will find anywhere in the entire Scriptures. We should never be ashamed of Jesus Christ or being identified with Him. We took time last week to emphasize that Christ was not ashamed of us. He was not ashamed to identify Himself with you and I, such sinners. We looked at Him taking to Himself our humanity, and becoming like one of us in the Incarnation, and how that He did this for one reason alone, to save our souls from hell and destruction, by reconciling us to God through the meritorious sacrifice of Calvary's cross. We went to the cross. We gazed upon the bleeding battered body of the Prince of Glory as he died in substitution for his people. Our sins in all their blackest hue being laid upon him as he took the full weight and the burden and guilt and punishment of our sin to himself. Not ashamed, says Jesus Praise God, he's not ashamed to call them, and that is us who believe, brethren. All this provoked the question, are we ashamed of him? He's not ashamed of us, but are we ashamed of Christ? We saw how there are times when even true Christians are tempted to be ashamed. We, we hold back from owning him as our Lord and our Savior in front of other people. We looked at perhaps it's the offense of the cross. 
You remember the apostle writing to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 1.23. He said, we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. And perhaps this is the reason why sometimes we hold back this message of the cross. It's described here as far as the, the Jews are concerned as a stumbling block and as far as the, the Greeks are concerned as a stumbling block. And people do not like to hear the message of the cross and it is an offense to them. And so we shy away from taking our stand for the Lord and preaching Christ and Him crucified for this reason. We notice also that perhaps it is because Christ is hated by the world. He said in John 15 verse 18, if the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. And because we don't want to be hated, nobody wants to be hated. We want to be liked. We want to be loved. But because we don't want to be hated by the world out there, we don't take our stand for the Lord the way that we ought to. Jesus says, I was hated. You can expect the same. And then we thought of one other reason. Maybe this is the main reason why some people are ashamed today, and I'm not talking about true Christians now. It is simply that the person in question has never truly known the Lord. They've never been converted. They've never believed in Jesus Christ from the heart. It seems that that is exactly who Christ is referring to in our text. Jesus is declaring here, you want to mark it carefully, if a man has been ashamed of him in this life, then he will be ashamed of that man in the life to come, on that great day. And that means to be disowned, and it means to be rejected by Jesus Christ forever. Now, I want you to think of this very serious text. I want you to learn from it. Some people that are ashamed of Christ and they've never truly been saved for this reason. I want you to notice, first of all, the context of Jesus' words regarding being ashamed. I want you to notice the word, therefore, in the text. This word's important. It's bringing us back to the context, or it's bringing us to the context in which Jesus is speaking. It's letting us know that what Jesus says in this verse is crucially connected to what comes before it. It's giving us the basis for what he said in the previous verses about the cost of becoming his disciple, his true followers. I want you to mark it well. We, we preached on these verses, but look at them again by way of context to what Christ is saying. Verse 34, when he's called uh, to him, the people and the disciples, he said to them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And then as we come to our text, Jesus says, Whosoever therefore. And that therefore is bringing us back to these verses that I have just read with you. To follow Jesus will cost a man. In fact, it's true to say it will cost a man everything that he is. 
We have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Christ. We are to lose our life for him. Now, the language that is used here is particularly figurative, but it's also, in some cases, literal. As we know it was for some of these devoted disciples, they actually did lose their lives in the physical sense for his sake. There's only two disciples in the Bible that are mentioned on how they died. One is Judas Iscariot, who, who was not a true apostle, not a true disciple of Christ. We're told how he died. And the other is James. And we know that James was beheaded at the bequest of Nero. Took his head off because he was a Christian. But we also learn from, from history that nearly every disciple of Christ, nearly every apostle, died the death of martyrdom. Some of it is tradition, maybe wrapped up in tradition. Some of it we can take, I believe, as gospel that happened, actually happened in history. Peter traditionally was crucified. He was put to death for his faith in Christ. I think there's evidence in the Bible to say that Peter one day would die a martyr's death. And you remember he wanted to be crucified upside down, feeling so unworthy to be crucified in the same position as his Savior. We're told that Thomas went as a missionary to India. And in a part of India, all those many centuries ago, he was speared through. He died a martyr's death. So there were those men, and ever since, who died a martyr's death, who lost their life for the sake of the gospel. Now, the world does not understand this. The ungodly cannot process this. The man of the world who, who craves after pleasure and the enjoyments of this earth finds it impossible just to take this in that, that somebody would actually die for Christ, that somebody would be willing to be a martyr, to lose his life for the sake of the gospel. Godless people think it insane to do what Christ is asking here, to lose your life, and not even just in the physical sense, to lose your life in the way that the context is speaking. In other words, you have just lost your life for Christ. You've handed your life over to Him. The world does not understand that. They can't process that. Somebody put it this way, to be saved by Jesus Christ costs nothing more than faith and nothing less than everything that we are. Because in true salvation, we do literally hand our lives over to the Lord for him to do with us as he will. We sing, and we sing with meaning, I trust we do, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. That's how a Christian feels. I've lost my life in Christ. I've handed my life over entirely to him. I have decided to follow Jesus and nothing is going to turn me back. Or where he will lead me, I will follow. Whatever it is, whatever path that the Lord leads me down, I'm going to follow him. For I've learned to trust him so. You see, my dear friends, when men hear about denying themselves, 
and taking up their cross to follow Christ, they are tempted to hold back from becoming a true Christian because of what the world thinks or what the world might do. And so Jesus says, Therefore, whosoever shall be ashamed of me, of him also will I be ashamed. It costs to be a Christian. I would be untruthful if I said anything else. It's not an easy road that we're traveling to heaven. And when a man genuinely becomes a child of God, hands his life over to the Lord, there is a cost involved. Didn't the Lord speak about this? When he said, no man or no king going out with an army of 10,000 soldiers to meet another army of 20,000 soldiers, twice the amount, doesn't first of all sit down and count the costs. Of course he will. Nobody builds a tower or a building of any description without first of all sitting down. Am I able to complete it? Have I got the wherewithal financially and structurally and every otherwise to, to build this building? He sits down, he counts the cost, and that is in the context of becoming a Christian. A non-converted person will sit down and they will count the cost. That is the context of our Savior's words in this text about being ashamed of him. I want you to notice, secondly, the condition of the age in which men are ashamed. And you want to mark the words, this adulterous and sinful generation. The Lord Jesus Christ uh, spoke of the generation here of being adulterous and sinful. When he spoke about this generation, what did he mean? Who was he referring to? Was he referring to the Jewish people of that particular generation, his own people who were living at that time upon the earth? That certainly is possible. They certainly are included. There's no doubt that there's an application to them. Are we not told that he came unto his own and his own received him not? He came to his own people, the Jewish nation, and they rejected him. They did not receive him. The vast majority of those in that nation refused Christ. They refused to take up their cross and follow him. They were ashamed of Christ. So the Jew is certainly included here. However, I believe the Lord had a wider audience in view. The application was far-reaching. This generation likely refers to all people living in this age, the age preceding the return of Christ. And so it is that generation of people between his first coming and his second coming. That means this generation in which we are living. We are included. You and I are included in this generation. It means you. In this generation we have the full revelation of who Christ is. No doubt about that. We have light and understanding. The gospel is presented clearly. Every week when you come to this house to our gospel meetings or to a gospel mission, the gospel of Christ will be presented to you. We are living in a land of liberty. Never forget that and never take it for granted. God has given us the freedom and the liberty to preach the gospel in this country. And that, of course, lends itself because of the freedom that we enjoy and the liberty that we enjoy 
it lends itself to the presentation of divine truth because we're not hindered. There's nobody coming to this church to, to close us down on a Sabbath day because the gospel is preached. There's nobody locking our doors. There's no police force that is being sent into our meetings to stop the preaching of God's Word. Not yet, anyhow. That day might come. But we have liberty and we have freedom to present the gospel and preach Christ. And that means because that is so, that you're not in ignorance. You have the message presented. If you come to this church at another, any other gospel preaching church, the message is presented to you week by week. The land in which we live is filled with Bibles. That's God's revelation. We have the revelation of God. I was just telling the young people recently that in the last 50 years, there have been almost 4 billion copies of the Bible sold in the world. It's still the most popular book. And I know that there are places where the Bible has never gone there are countries where the Bible is, is, a, is a closed book because of the government and the regime under which they live. But by and large, you can read the Word of God unhindered. You think of all those Bibles that are flooded into the world. We have the truth, and yet men reject, and they refuse to follow Him. They neglect so great salvation and how sad that is. Why? Because they are ashamed of Christ. Look at how this generation is described by our Lord. It is an adulterous and sinful generation. And this adultery that the Lord is talking about is not only the immoral, physical adultery that is so widespread through the world. We're living in an immoral society. We're living in an adulterous age as far as that is concerned, but also to spiritual adultery. And by that I mean people are unfaithful to Christ. They know who He is. <coughs> they know what He came to do. How He is able to, to save them from sin and from hell. And yet they refuse to receive Him. And they turn away from Him. And they are not faithful to Him. Choosing rather to love other things rather than Christ. Other gods other teachings, other ways of salvation. Nations like our own that were once considered as Christian are turning away from God at a remarkable pace today. Adulterous indeed and sinful. Great Britain serves mammon. The God of self is enthroned. The vast majority hanker after everything else but Christ. And where there is a form of religion, in many cases it is false. These other religions cannot save, they cannot redeem, they cannot bring men to heaven, and yet the world is hankering after them. I wonder where you fit in. Do you know about Christ? Do you realize that He can save you? from your sin and from destruction. He has invited you to come to Him that you might have life. Indeed, He has pleaded with the ungodly to forsake their sin and to take up their cross and follow Him. Have you rejected the Lord? 
Have you turned away from him? Have you been unfaithful to him because of the love that you have for other things? Oh, that's the condition of this age, an adulterous and a sinful generation. Then I want you to see in the third place the center of man's shame. What are men particularly ashamed of? What does Jesus say here? He says, me and my words. The chief aspect of men being ashamed is of Christ himself and of his words. You listen to the world of the ungodly and there are things they despise and they mock. Are you ashamed of Jesus and his words? Let's think of Christ first of all. Think of him in his glorious person. Think of our blessed Lord Jesus. You you just need to think about his virgin birth. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. You can think about his impeccable life. This Christ who is without sin, who never sinned, who never thought of sin, let alone practiced the sin, who was holy and harmless and, and sinless in his character. Think about his atoning death. There upon the cross of Calvary, Jesus Christ died a sacrificial death to save men from their sin, becoming the substitute of man, fully, really, eternally, taking their place. Think about his eternal existence. Without beginning of days, without end of life, Jesus is eternal. Think about his deity. He is God manifested in human flesh, truly God. Think about his coming again. Jesus is coming again. And then listen when you present these doctrines to the world about the person of Christ. Listen to the sneers and the laughter and the jesting. Hear the devil-inspired criticisms of the world. I wonder, are you ashamed of Christ and the great doctrines that belong to his character, his person? Do you allow the world to keep you silent? Do you even repudiate these things yourself? Do you laugh at them? Do you despise them? For Jesus says, men are ashamed of me. But not only ashamed of me, they're ashamed of my words. So you want to think not only of Christ, but think about the words of Christ. There are some people who may be willing to accept the person of Christ and all the fundamental teachings about him. They they will give mental consent at least to his virgin birth, his impeccable life, his atoning death, his eternal existence, his deity, his coming again. But when it comes to his words, it's a different matter. You cannot separate Jesus from his words, the things that he said. Notice some of the things that Jesus said that men are ashamed of or they shy away from. For example, you must be born again. Jesus said that. You tell people you must be born again. It's the only way to heaven. You can't get to heaven any other way. You need the experience of the new birth. You are a lost sinner in the sight of God. You are under the domain of the devil. You have a father in this world. It is certainly not God. It is the devil, but that's who you serve. And the only way to be brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God is through the new birth to become a child of God, to be born again, to be born from above, as the word means, to be born into God's family. 
and you bring those words by and large to a world out there and you talk to them about the new birth and being born again and they will laugh at you and they're ashamed of the new birth. Jesus said, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. One of the descriptions that he gives of the experience of those who are lost in their sin and die in their sin and go out into hell forevermore. You tell people there's a hell, you, you tell them that Jesus said there's a hell, preached on him more times than he did in heaven. And it's a fearful place to go where for eternity, forever and ever and ever, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And again, they will seek to repudiate the teachings of Christ. They will deny it. They are ashamed of it. He says, I and my Father are one. A very powerful text that reminds us that he's God and he's one with the Father and he's one with the Spirit, co-equal with the Father. And men will laugh at this idea and they will repudiate it. Except ye repent, ye shall likewise perish. You'll perish unless you turn from your sin. And men do not believe it and they turn away from it. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. But people think, I know better than Christ. I can get to the Father some other way. Though Jesus says, I'm the way and there's no other way. Do you not believe the words of Christ? These are just some of the words that he spoke that I've mentioned to you. Do you not believe them? Are you ashamed of them? For that very reason, you're not saved today. Then I want you to notice, fourthly, quickly, the characteristics of being ashamed. When could such words be applied? When would you be most tempted to be ashamed of Christ? Well, it's usually whenever you are in a minority as Christians. It's not so hard to, to come to church like we do today and pretend that you are unashamed of Jesus when you are surrounded by Christians. But put yourself in a different environment. Young people at school, where by and large you are surrounded by a majority of people who know not Christ, the ungodly there, that certainly is an environment where you might be ashamed. If you're older and you have employment in your workplace, you work in a factory, if you work in a shop, if you work with the ungodly around you, you just might be ashamed of the Lord in such circumstances. In your neighborhood where you live, on, on holiday, where you go on holiday, these kind of places. What do you do when somebody blasphemes the Savior? What do you do? You say nothing? Or if somebody tells a filthy joke in your presence... Or if they ridicule the Bible, the teachings of Christ. Or they challenge you about where you stand spiritually. Do you share the message of salvation with others? Are you happy to share Christian things on social media, for example? The characteristics of being ashamed. I hasten to my final point, And that is the conclusion of being ashamed. Mark the words of our Savior. Of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Here's where it all ends. And you want to note it. Christ will be ashamed of you. 
And that means to be disowned. That means to be rejected. That means to be shut out. You will not hear the well done, thy good and faithful servant, enter in. No, you'll be excluded for all of God's eternity. You're ashamed of the Lord now. He'll be ashamed of you in glory. And so in conclusion, I say, make sure that you are counted in among the number who are unashamed to own the Lord. Make sure that you are truly saved by God's grace, truly united to him on your way to heaven. Make sure that you take your stand for the Lord, that you take up your cross and you follow him. For be well assured, those who are ashamed of Christ and his words now will be rejected by him on that great day. Don't let the fear of man bring an eternal snare to your soul. Make sure that you confess Christ before men. Be ashamed of your sin. Be ashamed of your worldliness. Be ashamed of your unbelief. Be ashamed of your faults and your failures. But never be ashamed of him who died upon the cross to save you from your sin, from hell and from destruction. Bishop J.C. Ryle said, better a thousand times confess Christ now and be despised by man than be disowned by Christ before his Father in the day of judgment. And you know, that's exactly what the Lord is teaching here in this text. Whosoever, therefore, shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Let the words of Christ search out your heart today and you make sure where you are before him spiritually and eternally for Christ's sake. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that the words of the Savior are searching and solemn. Speaking here of those that are ashamed of him in this life and of his words, and how on the great day of judgment he will be ashamed of them. We pray that those gathered will make sure, first of all, that they are truly converted, they know the Lord, and then teach us to walk with God and to stand for him be unashamed of him and be willing to speak up whatever the cost. And then for those, Lord, in this service who have never, never truly been saved and they are ashamed all the time about God and about the things of the Lord, about the person of Christ, the great doctrines that surround his person and of his words. Oh, Lord, bring them face to face with that shame today. And bring them, Lord, face to face with the claims of Christ today. And may they seek him, come to know him, love him, stand for him. Oh, Lord, bring conversion to the hearts of men who know not Christ. Bring it today for Jesus' sake. Amen. We sang a hymn last week. It was in the middle part of the service that we're going to use for our closing him today, 503, Jesus, and shall it ever be a mortal man ashamed of thee, ashamed of thee whom angels praise 
whose glories shine through endless days. And we stand as we worship God in our closing hymn. Stand to we glory, may it be in the cross. May it be of a Savior slain, the one who was not ashamed of us when he came to this earth and took upon himself the form of a servant. 
the one who was God who became man and dwelt among us, the one who lived a life that was impeccable and sinless and obedient to the law, representing us in life as well as death. May we never be ashamed of Christ. And we know that on the great day, he will not be ashamed of us. And we will hear those words come, Ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Let your word live. May it do us good. Bring sinners to Christ and separate us with your blessing now. In Jesus' name. Amen.